Esmedra and I developed this seventh installment of the Mentality Monsters podcast. What we did was reflect on our time, our mutual time, participating in swimming, both in middle school and elementary school. This is a key developmental period for all of us in life. And one of the visions and ambitions of Mentality Monsters is to assist America's youth and the world's youth in developing a stronger mind and a healthier mind, a stronger and healthier way of regulating their emotions. So when we reflected back on each of our individual careers, we looked at relationships and we looked at powerful learnings and takeaways that we each had from our time spent swimming growing up. This was a lot of hours, hundreds if not thousands of hours spent. So there was a lot of time for us to reflect back on as individuals and really think about what we learned and consolidating that so that you all can take those learnings for yourself and apply them day to day. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the seventh installment of the Mentality Monsters podcast here in late November. I'm your host, Kyle Langan, joined by my lifelong friend, Fedja Uzancic. Fedja, any Thanksgiving plans for you? So this year we're hopping around. This is the this is the first year that I'm going to be doing Thanksgiving with in-laws. Uh, so we have to hop around to yeah. all the all the different locations and things like that, which is going to be not much different from years prior because my my fiance and I have been dating for four years at this point. It's just the air of it is going to be uh, a little different because now uh, there's permanence to it. <laughs> this is going to be something I do every single year for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's awesome. For me, just um, bringing my fiance up uh, as well to um, enjoy Thanksgiving with my family. And I'll be heading uh, out to see her family for Christmas. So kind of dividing up the holidays as, as such. And uh, we envision that's going to be the way that it stays for the, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. So her family so, is a big emphasis on Christmas and, uh, you know, so for, for Thanksgiving, we'll join my family. For the audience, uh, so that you can understand how aligned Kyle and I's cycles are, uh, we, we are both independently planned trips to the San Diego area for Christmas to visit various family. And then yep. three or four weeks after we made those plans and booked all the flights, we were, we were texting back and forth and just somehow realized that we'd both be in the same area at the same time. Uh, it's, it's on accurate. Yeah. So, so we you, are perfect in perfect alignment at all, <laughs> seemingly at all times. In fact, so much so that in the summer, I planned an engagement party that was meant to be like, well, I didn't plan it. My friends didn't. It was meant to be one where friends could attend, but you couldn't. And then my fiance's family is hosting one out in San Diego which was meant to be only for family, but they're like, oh, your friends are going to be there. Like, invite them. <laughs> so. so what Kyle is saying is that I'm family. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. No question. Speaking of Thanksgiving, I want to offer up the Mentality Monsters audience a hilarious sports-related story uh, from my youth. It was uh, 1998, and one of the things I look forward to every single Thanksgiving um, as an avid sports fan, is uh, rooting against the Cowboys, rooting for them to lose. Um, that was always an, an enjoyable part of the day. And in 98, they were playing the Minnesota Vikings. And as a New York Giants fan, I, you know, 
wasn't about to don another team's jersey or you know anything like that. So I went to like my sister's arts and crafts cabinet and I got a, a sheet of yellow construction paper and I cut I fashioned the the Minnesota Vikings mustache and like gold <laughs> locks from this paper and I taped it to my face. This is so an eight-year-old Kyle. Yes, I taped it to my face, and I went ape shit watching Randy Moss as a rookie catch three touchdowns against the Cowboys that day and absolutely destroy them and destroy the day for Jerry Jones and Troy Aikman. And I was I was wearing this this literal like Minnesota Vikings garb. I looked like one of them, and as I was cheering this on this Thursday in November, like now over 20 years ago. And I've had a soft spot for the Vikings ever since then. It's been like my, <laughs> my secret second team, outside of the fact that the owner, Ziggy Wolf, is from Teaneck, New Jersey, and went to, uh, damn, uh, what's the the college in Teaneck? William, uh, not William Patterson. I think it might be William Patterson. Anyway. Yeah. This is this story. I love this story. And Kyle's never told me this story before. I love this story because <laughs> yeah, I realized I never told anyone because I'm like, <laughs> well, what context could I possibly have to tell them? This is the most ridiculous thing ever. It's I, I like it because it's some it's the level of presence and lack of shame that only a child can exhibit. And you learn from that, like, hey, <laughs> I should do this type of stuff more often as an adult. Yeah, just things where you're like, yeah, I whatever i'm here to have a good time that's it <laughs> that's an excellent story man I'm, I'm picturing you yeah uh with with those with that mustache and eyebrows you know it's what? probably I, sloppily cut out too so it's probably not like they're not like perfect they're kind of uneven <laughs> dude you know what if i ask my family they might have a picture of this because obviously it like this is something where you're like wow I need to like photograph this because right, right. my son is out of control. So uh, after recording our last episode and, and really outlining how Fedra and I define a mentality monster, which to reiterate for the audience, Spark Notes is a stress resilient and satisfied person who likes what they do while minimizing the wanting, right? Subtracting the focus on outcomes from the thing you like to do, that's stress resilience. That's a mentality monster and ultimately a high achiever. So after outlining this, um, you know, Fedja and I both spent a lot of time reflecting on our experience as a swimmer, which spans a, a combined a few decades, uh, grade school, high school, and beyond. Um, and my subsequent time partaking as a coach in that same endeavor. Um, and then obviously following my favorite sports team's uh, success or lack thereof uh, and, and searching, reflecting on this experience as to where we uh, where we saw the mentality monster philosophy in action. Uh, after all, the, the summation of that whole experience mutually between us is that represents the axis upon which this podcast is built. And uh, success leaves clues, right? Just ask Tony Robbins. So we, we took a retro look. Um, and scanned our careers for uh, moments we saw this in action. And swimming was the most impactful sport 
in our lives. And growing up, I know I and Kyle as well, we played multiple sports and and we tried many sports. Uh, I probably tried every single sport that you can try between hockey, football, basketball. Uh, baseball was the only one that I didn't because my coming from an immigrant uh, background in my family, we came from Europe where baseball is like not even a thing. Um, but swimming, swimming is the one that that defined our athletic careers. It's the sport that we had the most talent for and the most commitment to. And so the lessons that we, the major lessons that we learned in our lives as it relates to sports and then becoming mentality monsters ourselves come from that experience. And I couldn't look back on my time as a swimmer or a coach of swimming without thinking of another Really hilarious story that uh, touches on my sports fandom as well. I was coaching Bergen Catholic swimming in January of 2012. I was standing in my parents' basement. It was a Friday, second Friday in January, and the, uh, the phone rings. House phone, not my cell phone. House phone rings. And it was to tell me that the league championship meet due to a, a pending snowstorm, was going to be moved from that Saturday to that Sunday, which was when the Giants were playing a divisional playoff game against the Green Bay Packers. And, like, I never missed a snap of Eli Manning's career up to this point. And they they won the wild card game. They are in the divisional round, This is, and they're playing the number one seeded Green Bay Packers, 15-1 and one on the year. It's a huge game, and I'm going to miss it. Was this the ice bowl? No, this was the second one, 2012. Yep. So I'll just skip ahead to the second part of the story, which was that this happened again the next week. So they 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 want they would win this game and go to the championship game, and it happened both times. <laughs> the snowstorm pushed the the meet the county then county championship back from a Saturday to a Sunday. So there was a kid on the team, Jake Bruno, who was also a huge Giants fan and who whose swimming talent, we'll say you fell short of getting him a spot on the, uh, you know, in the meet, so to speak. So I gave Jake the job of standing outside because the building we were in was a huge gymnasium. There was probably 250 people's cell phones trying to get reception into this like concrete structure. So there was no way I was going to be getting any information about this game. So I made Jake stand outside and listen to the radio broadcast and come in the back in the building to give me updates. And the giants had some legendary plays in this game against the Packers. Like, First play of the game, Hakeem Nicks bounces off six tackles and goes 65 yards for a touchdown on a slant route. He comes in, he tells me this. I'm like, dude, you're lying. <laughs> First play, you must be lying. <clears throat> they throw a Hail Mary before halftime. I remember they, that. They complete it, and they're up like 24 to 3 to half. He comes in, tells me they completed a Hail Mary 24 to 3 to half. I'm like, Jake, you are not coming inside for the second half. You're just going to stay outside. The, the just the energy of it. I was like, I'm not changing anything. Superstition, the whole deal. The next week, same thing. 
they ended up going to overtime against San Francisco. Pouring rain, crazy game. Either way, hilarious memory of coaching swimming and being a sports fan. And I'm thankful to Jake for this day for giving me those real-time updates. What Kyle is telling you is that when he was a teenager, he sent another uh, young teenager out into the cold, <clears throat> likely in nothing but his swim wear. <laughs> To track the results. Hey man, he was a Giants fan too. He, he wanted to know. <laughs> That's it. Like there was no live Twitter. Like that wasn't as prominent back then. He J- Jake wanted to know. What can I tell you? Better times. Better times. Yeah. So when I unpacked, uh, when I embarked on the journey of uh, scanning my memory for times when the mentality monster philosophy presented itself across a swimming career, uh, there was a lot to unpack. And uh, one of the first things that came to mind was that you and I, Fedra, had a, a cornucopia of different coaching personalities that we went through like the Cleveland Browns of the mid-2010s. <laughs> don't you had, don't you do that. <laughs> I had to go there. I had to go there. And so upon reflection, what really stood out to me was the contrast between coaches who wanted to see me succeed versus the ones who were willing to let me fail. Every coach wanted to see me succeed. That was a given. The ones who were willing to let me fail were the ones that I would ultimately gravitate back to with an open mind, ready to absorb the learning on offer from that experience. And this had lasting implications for me and for my life. And the the two that really stick out to me from swimming were Mike Ives and Jay Schlereth. Um, Michael Ives, I recall a specific practice in summer of 2010. He had a summer camp in Demarest, New Jersey, and it was called Ives Summer of Hell. So all the club swimmers would normally get the summers off. And he offered a summer camp in the event that you wanted to keep up your training. And at the time, I was not participating in a club program, only high school practices. So this was something I really wanted to commit to and and make sure I stayed in shape. And, you know, Mike Ives outlined a set that was designed for me to practice breaststroke technique. And there was it was high pace, a lot of volume. Fetcher, you remember Ives. He was always like absolutely dreadful. To have a practice conducted by him because it was it was hard. He was an interesting individual because he he was tall and lanky <clears throat> and very calm in yes. all things. He never lost his temper, never never became emotional about anything. He was always this resolute presence on the on the pool deck because the coaches would walk around the pool deck as you were practicing. Correct and. He, I believe that he was this way because his training regimens were so intense Yeah, that it was the only way he could conduct himself to give the swimmers the feeling of resolute confidence that they could actually accomplish what he was asking them to accomplish. It was a way of establishing this aura of, well, I'm giving you these, these, insane regimens because I have high expectations of you as swimmers and I know that you can meet them. Yep. And this story aligns with that. 
I was a couple of sets, um, a couple of laps into this breaststroke set. And I remember I came up to the side of the pool and I told him, I, I can't do this. It's too difficult. And he looked at me in the eyes and he was like, okay, then get out, quit. And when he put it back on me, he wasn't going to give me permission. He wasn't going to give me permission to, to stop, to quit. When he put it back on me, I was like, okay, all right. This, this is not that difficult. I'm in. Um, so that was one of the two memories that stood out. Another one was before practice one day when he was coaching one of our club teams. This was in the winter. I was telling him how I had ambitions to get a college scholarship for something in track and field. And he pulled me to the side and he said, let's work on that goal, which should be to have like a certain output in the event. And he said, cause that's what you can control. You can't control whether a scholarship is offered to you for these things. So Mike in this case was guiding me to control the controllables so I can have a healthier inner narrative, right? Like he wanted me to be set up well in my own head with the conversation that I was having with myself about what I could accomplish because to, to set yourself up with the expectation that somebody will do something for you as a result of this, that's outside my control. And so I thought in both cases, Literally and inside my head, he was setting me up to, you know, be the boss of my own narrative, be in control of my own narrative. And, and that was such a valuable lesson that at got such a young age, it's hard to put a price on that. Uh, and, and then upon, again, upon reflection of my whole career, when I, when I look back, that was the most poignant thing and, and something that really stood out to me as a healthy uh, recommendation and a healthy direction for me uh, in my youth. When I was reflecting on on my experiences with swimming, I focused on the day-to-day -day and the consistency and the commitment with which I practiced swimming. And I, and I thought a lot about what swimming is like, like characteristically as a sport. And track and field is mm -hmm. similar. It's an individual sport. It's not as extreme as swimming in certain respects, it is though a sport that you are competing against yourself. You are tracking against your own past performance. And so there's a lot of similarities between swimming and, and track and field in that way. The reason I'm, I'm diving into this specifically is because of what Kyle mentioned about coach Ives, uh, challenging him to, uh, reflect on his on his own and and will himself if he really wanted to to quit and kyle responded to that in a positive way and kept on going what ives was taking advantage of i i believe is how extremely swimming locks you in and leaves you alone with your thoughts yes i think this was this is something that that i like upon realizing this, I was blown away by the opportunities that I was given at such a young age. We're talking about my most important developmental years, like between the ages of 11 and and 17 or 18, where I was swimming consistently, you know, two, three hours a night. And 
what I realized is that in this time I was unknowingly meditating. So uh, dude, I couldn't agree more. I always referenced the swim practices as you and the black line at the bottom. Yeah. And I complained to my parents all the time because I said, my friends get to like converse during practice because they play basketball and I just have to hold my breath and stare at this black line. And, and as you said, as an adult, there are so many distractions. You're like, man, what I wouldn't give to stare at a black line. For yeah. Hours. yeah. And I, I have this uncanny ability now to empty my mind like at the snap of a finger. And I, th- I, I firmly believe that swimming taught me how to do this because put yourself in the environment. Imagine the environment that you're in. You're in a pool of water for two to three hours. The interesting thing about swimming is that it, it dulls all of your senses. You're wearing goggles that narrow your vision. Also, those goggles will fog up. And so your vision also becomes not only narrower and focused, but, but limited in a way. Your hearing is dampened. Uh, yes, you do. When you roll your head to get a breath, you do get your hearing back. But when you do get it back, it's this chaotic, like cacophony of whistles and yelling and splashing that's reverberating off of these tile walls. So you're constantly going from extreme chaos around you outside of the water to this dull churning uh, in the water. And and that has a an effect to that basically causes you to start ignoring all of the things that you're hearing. The other thing is you have no sense of smell. You have no sense of taste. The only thing you really feel when you're, when you're swimming is the, the wall, the tiled walls or the plastic lane lines that you're clinging onto for dear life in between sets. Uh, so, so not only are you alone with yourself, the environment that you're in is walling you off from, from the outside world and forcing you to dig even deeper into that lonely place in your head where the isolation that you feel is amplified. And, and the, the pace, too, of what you're doing and the, the breath frequency acts as a metronome for yeah. the meditation. Like you are doing everything on the same cadence repeatedly over and over yes. again. And you you're alone with these thoughts and you find yourself emptying your mind, filling your mind, emptying your mind, filling your mind, you know, thinking about uh, what happened that day, thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, uh, you know, candidly, we're 16, 17 years old. We're not thinking about profound things like 20 years down the line, but we are practicing the habit of reflection, emptying the mind, uh, thinking to the future, those things, <laughs> repeating those things consistently time and time again, day in, day out, I believe built the foundation that I now use to develop myself uh, in a more meaningful and thoughtful way as I mature in my career and my professional life, as I look forward to, to eventually one day being a father. All of these things are built off of that experience where I learned how to clear my mind and focus on the things that I want or the things that I believe. I didn't think of practice in the same way that you did and that you beautifully outlined there. But when I add that up with the amount of miles I logged when training for the Ironman, it's amazing how much time I've spent with my my own thoughts (laughs) in this life. So when people ask me, how old am I? 
it's like emotionally i'm like gandalf dude <laughs> emotion like biologically sure i'm 32 but emotionally god i've had so many conversations with myself that again just being alone with with my own thoughts have put me emotionally well into my hundreds <laughs> the other thing that i realized that was profound to me and, and also consistent with this idea of being consistent and building velocity because you build velocity by repeating the same action over and over again and that action builds upon the previous action and that speeds up your velocity the important thing about velocity is that you're moving with speed and with direction so one of the things that swimming taught me and contributes to the direction that I'm moving in in my life today is it taught me how to compete against myself. 99.9% .9 of swimming is you versus you. And every element of the competition is dominated by that reality. Even when you're in a swim meet and competing against other people, you think about how long a swim race typically is. We're talking about minutes. Well, Kyle and I are spending hundreds and hundreds of hours training to swim in a race for a grand total of 25 minutes in, a, in an entire season. That is a crazy ratio when you think about competing with yourself versus competing with others. It, it's and, a crazy ratio when you compare it to the things that you're promised. Yeah. In, in, in the world and in life, right? But in reality, that is the ratio for accomplishing something extraordinary. It's such a great microcosm for so many yeah. things. And even I go back to that competition piece because next time, you know, four years from now when the Olympics are popular and swimming is interesting again, I challenge folks to watch not the full race, but watch the end of the race when the swimmers finish. Every swimmer does the same thing. I used to do this. Kyle used to do this. Olympians do this. The first thing they do is they touch that wall and they look around to where they finished in relation to other swimmers. Like how many other people have finished? Because even during the race, you're so focused on that black line that you have no idea what's going on around you. All you know is that you're trying to hit your pace, hit your cadence, swim as fast as you can, again, against yourself. And then you, you uh, scan the, the rest of the pool when you finish to see how you did. The second thing that the swimmers always do is they look up to the board and that board gives them two bits of information. It tells them what place they finished and it also tells them their time. So even when they're finishing a race and assessing how they've done compared to the others around them, the final thought that they have is what is my time, which is a comparison against who you were yesterday. So even in that, even in those competitive moments, you're com you're competing against who you were in the past, and that's so profound to me on so many levels because that's how that's the basis of all of my development and all of the success I've had growing over the past year and a half, two years, is that I'm constantly looking back to who I was yesterday and working to understand how effectively I've built upon that person that existed yesterday so that I can continue to grow in the direction that I want to grow in today and tomorrow. Yeah. And to do a callback to what the mentality monsters foundation is stress, resilience, and satisfaction. The satisfaction piece comes from enjoying what you do day to day. So 
well, you can identify what that thing is when you get the privilege of spending as much time alone with your thoughts, meditating as, as you know, Fedra and I did when we were younger. So we, we, because we have that gear for us to access, we can more simply identify the things that we really enjoy doing day to day and, and access those things for ourselves. So if there's a, a learning on offer here, it's to spend some time, you know, with your own thoughts and with yourself and go for a walk. Could be anything, you know, whatever gets you out of <clears throat> your classic thought cycle and spend some time with yourself, do that consistently. And I promise you'll be able to discern for yourself, you know, what tasks you really love doing day to day. So you can, you can start to soak up that satisfaction and, and really build that stress resilience because we all do it in different ways and it shows up for us in different ways. I, I thought as well, you know, Fedra, you, you looked at it more from a participatory and individual angle and for, for myself, more of a, a coaching angle, which is really a, a relationship-based thing. Uh, and when I thought about the coaches that were able to get the best out of me, I was reminded of a story, again, Giants fan. I'll call back to my Giants history here. Um, you know, Tom Coughlin's final speech to the team before playing the Patriots in Super Bowl Forty Six. I love this story. <clears throat> he showed the team John Wooden's you know, John Wooden, former UCLA basketball coach, his pyramid for success in team sports. And for Wooden at the top was competitive greatness, which Coughlin took the liberty of replacing with the word love. And he told the team that he loved all of them. And what this gave them the permission to do was express themselves on the field. Their actions were an act of self-expression and they really were able to understand what the purpose of putting in all that work was when they understood that they had the love of their coach and they had the love of, of one another really. And it's, it's worth noting as well, you know, to add power and to add gravity to the mentality monsters philosophy that wouldn't himself was quoted as saying success is the peace of mind which is a direct result of the satisfaction that comes from knowing that you made the effort to be the best you're capable of being. And only, only we can control that for ourselves and the coaches that knew that and, and let me access that for myself were the ones that were able to inspire me, right? I, I was, I was inspired by working with Mike Ives and I was inspired by working with, um, you know, Jason Schlereth, I recall even coaching with Jason um, at Bergen Catholic, you know, years after he coached me and the boys team was in a rebuilding mode. And, you know, the, the, the sister school of Bergen Catholic Immaculate Heart Academy was an incredible program. So the first year, you know, when they were in a meet and the boys weren't, we would have them come and sit and watch the girls team so that, they could watch the reaction when races were finished, what the girls' mentality was. You know, they went very far in the state tournament. And when they lost, they, uh, you know, the girls were very upset. Like, they they broke down and cried. And we looked at the boys and we were like, that's because they care about each other. And they care day to day what happens. We were trying to use that 
to get the boys to care about practice more every single day. Cause they're like, look, when you care every single day, it's not a sometimes thing. It's an all the time thing. It's not because they lost today that they're upset. They put in all that work and they saw their friends put in that work as well. So I, I thought about all these moments. I thought about what Coughlin said. I thought about love and self-expression. And I believe that fits into the philosophy here beautifully. I agree. That's about a, as good a place as any to wrap up. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Mentality Monsters podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and then, of course, our YouTube channel as well. Thank you all. Until next time. <laughs>